friends, this is Dr. Jack, and welcome back to another episode of Psychology Concepts Explained. You can tell recently I've had the chance to interview other psychology professionals, and I'm staying in-house. I'm interviewing some of my colleagues. Yeah, what I really want to get is their origin story, that is how they got from when they're young to becoming a psychology professor. And... Um, I think you'll really enjoy this. If you're a psychology major thinking about a career in psychology or if you're an early career psychology instructor, I believe our chat that we had last week that I'm going to play for you in a moment will really benefit you. I I think there are a lot of pearls of wisdom here from my colleague and former um, department coordinator. And my guest's name is Professor Sue Franz. She works at Highline College, where I also work. She's been there since 2001. Um, She's very much a specialist in terms of psychology instruction. She's been in that national psychology instruction community for many, many years. And she served on the board of the Society for the Teaching of Psychology, that's STP, for eight years. And in 2019, she was the president of that organization. She also had a Distinguished Teaching of Psychology Award called the Charles L. Brewer Award. That's APA, the American Psych Association's highest honor for professors of psychology. And she earned that back in 2016. And she's also a co-author of a book entitled Psychology, a Step-by-Step Guide with Douglas Bernstein and Stephen Chu. And I'll put everything in the show notes in terms of all the relevant links that will be discussed in this episode. Again, I really had a good time talking with Sue, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to another episode of Psychology Concepts Explained. I have a very special guest today. I'm so excited. She is my, in what Malaysians might call, boss boss. And so she's, (laughs) this is Professor Sue France. And did I pronounce your last name correctly? Because I don't know how heavy the T is in your last name. It's it's actually the differences in the A. So oh. I pronounce it I pronounce it Franz. Franz. Okay. So after all these years, I'm just learning that. And, and there are plenty of people out there who have been friends with me for a long time <laughs> who'll be surprised to hear this. Yeah. And uh, Sue and I go back to all the way to 2008, right? And you in your department at Highline College, and we're colleagues there. You put out a notice that you wanted an experienced adjunct instructor. I think for online, right? Specifically for online, I think. Specifically for online? Yeah, yeah. And I applied. I was in Texas. at No, I was overseas in Asia at the time, I think. You were, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And we did the interview at sort of a weird hour. And it was just a phone or I think it may have been a video chat. I don't remember. Do you remember it was a Skype uh, or just maybe audio call? I don't know. It was between me, you, and maybe Ruth. Yeah, two or three people, I think. And I was so shocked that you hired me sight unseen. And uh, anyway, so that, that's a little bit of our history. We're colleagues, and she's been my department coordinator through two cycles, right? Mm-hmm. And we've only met in person how many times? Maybe two occasions? Could be two. Mm-hmm. Two to three. Yeah, maybe just two. Yeah. Once in Washington State and once lately in New Mexico where you are. Okay, so the way I set up this program is that whenever I bring on a psychology professional, whether I know them personally or not, I really want to explore how they got there. Because I think a lot of students or those interested in the career in psychology might be wondering, how did most people get to that point? 
and what they did was successful or not, or was it difficult and all that. So let's start there. <laughs> How I got to here. That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a great question. And it, th- that was a long time ago too. Yeah. So I, um, I grew up in a, in Western Pennsylvania in a town of about 200 people. It was wow, a coal 200. mining, 200 people. It was a coal mining area, mostly strip mining. And, um, it was a, it's a very large Amish community that surrounded that town. I went to school, elementary school, the next town over. So it was always a bus ride. And then junior high and high school were the next biggest town over, which was a town of 8,000 people. So I did well in school. Um, neither of my parents, I should add this, neither of my parents graduated high school. My father left school when he was in elementary school. And my mother left when she was a junior in high school to marry my father. So um, my father worked as, um, he worked for, as a miner for a while. He drove trucks for a large portion of his life. He died young hmm. when I was 15. And my, my mother worked some, but she largely battled depression and some prescription drug addiction which I now understand many, many years later, looking back on it. I have three older siblings and they're much older, nine, 10 and 13 years older than I am. And they all stayed within about 10 miles of where we grew up and they've all had successful careers, but I was the only one to graduate from college. You mean even now as adults, they're within 10 miles of where y'all grew up? That's correct. That that is amazing. Yeah. I've got, uh, I I come from a very large family on both my mother's side and my father's side, and I've got dozens and dozens and dozens of cousins, and almost all of them are still within that same county where we Hmm. grew up. So I did well in school. So I hung out with all the other kids that did well in school and going to college was never, ever anything that I thought about. This was not expected in my family. It was not talked about in my family. There was certainly no money to send me off to college. My senior year of of school, of high school, I'm sitting in a physics class because I've been taking all the classes my friends were taking and all my friends were planning on going to college. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm sitting in a physics class with all my friends and the teacher that fall, the teacher asks, how many of you are planning on going to college? And every hand in the room went up except for mine because wow. it never even occurred to me. Right. And so my friends are, are kind of tapping me on the shoulder and saying, come on, so you're going to college. Okay. I raised my hand. <laughs> Wait, so okay. So I- <laughs> let me interrupt you. So as, as a senior, then what were you thinking? Did you have any thoughts about, because I know it's easy just to focus on the now, right? As a, as a high schooler, did you think about that time, what you're going to do after, if it wasn't college, what, what, what was it? Oh, no idea. No, no, oh, no. Okay. I, I, I still, I, I very much live in the present mm-hmm. and I still very much live in the present. <laughs> so I think that was a really good example of right now I am taking physics. So that's what I am doing right now. Yeah. And that's what I was doing. Yeah. But it wasn't until that teacher asked that question that it had even dawned on me. And my friends were talking about going to college. They were talking about what colleges they were applying to. And it still never occurred to me. Yeah. That that would be an option for me. So you didn't, you didn't visualize that for yourself at all? Not at all. Okay. Nope. So then what ended up changing your mind at that point when you said your friend tapped you on the shoulder and all that? So 
Oh, that was, it was purely peer pressure. It was just, <laughs> it wasn't so much that my mind changed as it was, oh, now I have a thought about it. Okay. Like I, I hadn't spent any time at all thinking about college and then suddenly, oh, okay, I'm going to college. All right. Mm -hmm. That decision is made. <laughs> and not having that, you know, built-in support from your family being, since you're a first generation college student at this point or going to be, then how did you actually, you know, logistically make that leap? from not having a thought about it to suddenly I'm going. How did that work? Now, yeah, now I'm just following my friends, right? Uh-huh. So my friends are saying they're going to apply to this school and that school and the other school. And several of my friends were applying to Indiana University of Pennsylvania, which is just a couple hours away from where I grew up. And it was a, it's a perfectly fine state university, which I had known nothing about until this mm -hmm. point. But, you know, obviously I'm putting lots of thought into this whole college thing. So my friends are saying, <laughs> yeah, we're all going to go to this school. All right. That sounds good. Let me apply there. And it didn't even occur to me that I wouldn't get in. My grades were excellent. Yeah, so yeah. of course I did. And I ended up rooming in the dorms with one of my, one of my friends from high school. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. And so how did that work financially for you at that point? Um, you were saying you probably didn't get much support from your parents financially, or at least maybe by that time, your mom, right? So how, how did that work itself out? Well, at this point, my mom has no money. And mm -hmm. uh, my my father is is gone now for a yeah. couple of years at this point. Yeah. And my, my mother is getting Social Security. I'm getting a small Social Security benefit as a dependent. Um, so it was just applying to financial aid. Yeah, And the, yeah. the high school counselor helped me work through all of that. And this was at a time, this would have been in the 1980s. And this is when there was a lot more money available for state and financial aid. And that's what I did. I went to college on state grants, federal grants, and work study. Yeah. So I worked 20 hours a week on campus. Yeah. Yeah. I did the same thing. Yeah. So, okay, good. And then... So now the next question was, now that you're there, you're following your friends, what did your friends study and did you follow them in that regard? No, I was the only one that majored in psychology. Uh, and how early that, on that, did you did you choose that? Was that really oh, way, clear? Yeah, really? it was really yeah, that was really clear to me wow. way early on. Hmm. And I know you're going to ask me why and my yeah. answer is going to be I have no idea. Hmm. Uh, psychology was not offered as a subject in high school. So I didn't yeah. know anything about it from there. And I had decided before I got to college that I was going to major in psychology. I briefly thought about chemistry. I really loved chemistry in high school. So I took chemistry my freshman, the fall of my freshman year right. and absolutely hated it, which gave me a whole new appreciation <laughs> for what an instructor can do right. for students in terms of their love of the subject. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, as an aside, you know, my daughter is, is finishing up her community college and she's about to transfer to a four-year university. And I can see, based on her feedback, and I'm trying to warn her, don't allow that instructor to cause you to, to hate, especially hate. Love is one matter. That's fine. And, and you know, they can inspire you. Right. But don't let that drag you down. Uh, because, yeah, like you just said, I mean, we can easily be influenced from that one experience um, to just say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to go in that direction. That totally sucks. <laughs> right. 
So did you have a good experience? I mean, you chose psychology. Did you have a good experience with your early psych classes, with your professors, like just awesome, and, and then it reinforced the idea? Oh, totally, totally. I um, What really sold me on it, though, because unlike so many people who are planning on becoming psychology majors, I was not interested in therapy at all. I wasn't mm. interested in becoming a therapist. But, you know, I'm, I'm going from high school, my first year in college. I don't even really know much about what this whole psychology thing is. I just know that I don't want to be a therapist. But if I have to, okay. And I, I remember I took intro psych my first semester. And I remember in that very first week, the professor saying, if you're interested, I think it was a, I think it was an intro psych course specifically for majors oh, okay. section, specifically for majors. And he said that if you're interested in majoring in psychology, just know that you have all kinds of options. You do not have to become a therapist. And I was so thrilled to hear that. I still had no idea what I was going to do yeah, or what yeah. my other options were, but I knew that I didn't have to do this thing that I was not excited about. Yeah. Yeah. We both teach intro to psych, right? I mean, a lot. So I think that's the impression of our students too, I think, is that they come in assuming that, oh, psychologist means clinical counseling therapist. And then, and then they go through chapter one and they're so shocked that there's such a, that's only half, right? And there's right. so much more variety within the field of psychology. Okay. All right. So this is interesting. So you had a, a really good intro to psych experience. You, your eyes were open. Okay, good. I don't have to be a therapist, <laughs> right? You, you don't want to go that route. So then which part of psychology stood out to you as an undergrad? Well, it ended up being social psychology. Mm -hmm. But as you've sort of already gathered, I'm not putting lots and lots of thought into this and <laughs> into my future. So uh, once again, I was doing well in school and I was invited to do an honors project mm -hmm. with one of the faculty. And he happened to be a social psychologist doing research on mass media influence. Oh. So I ended up doing a project with him and that's how I ended up in graduate school for social psychology. Yeah. 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 So, and actually I started grad school in social psych as well. And, uh, I just, I just love the field. And when I do these weekly podcasts and thinking about a topic to talk about, inevitably I, I'm drawn to a social psych topic, right? Yeah. Just because it applies to just about so many situations we have in our daily life. So, Okay, so you, you went that direction, and obviously you're, you're focused on instruction and teaching. We both teach at the community college level. So the natural next step, and we're going kind of chronologically professionally here, is that now that you're in social psychology, at what point did you decide that, or did you understand that that was more of a research field, right? And then how did you transition to say, okay, I'm going to become an instructor. Uh, I burned out is what happened. Ah, okay. So I, I ended up going to the University of Kansas and they offered, it was a PhD program mm. and they offered a master's degree along the way. And I went there with the intention of doing psychology and law. Um, and when I, when I applied to graduate school, there were two paths I could take. One was psychology and law and University of Kansas was absolutely the place to do that yeah. or mass media and mm. University of Virginia was absolutely the place to do that. Mm. And I had offers from both places, teaching assistantships at both places. And I decided that I would go to Kansas. 
who is in a very different part of the country from where I grew up. And of course, looking back on it, so would Virginia. Virginia yeah. would have also <laughs> been very, a very different choice. So I end up in Kansas. And after three years, I finished my master's degree and I ended up switching from psych and law to stereotyping and prejudice. Oh, okay. So I, I finished my thesis. And by the time I was done with that, I was, I was completely burned out. I yeah. needed a, a break. So I'd gone straight from high school to college and college right. to graduate school. And right. this is all a bit much. And once again, I'm still, I'm, I'm putting myself through school. Yeah. So I, um, I say, I need a break from this. And during my teaching assistantship, I was, um, I was running discussion sections and then I was teaching my own classes Right. and none of this was doing anything for me. It, it's not like I went to graduate school thinking, okay, I'm going to researcher. Yes. I understood that. Yeah. But this whole teaching thing, no public speaking was not my thing. Mm -hmm. I was no. And here I am, Kansas, uh, almost all the students are 18, 19 years old who are sitting yeah. in intro psych and um, Kansas is not known for its ethnic diversity. Mm -hmm. So everyone is pretty much middle-class and white. Mm -hmm. So this is not, it's not really doing very much for me is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. So I take a break from my education and I, I say, I'm taking a year's leave and they all say, fine, see you back here in a year. And I thought, okay, great. Now I got to find a job. <laughs> and I, <laughs> yeah, like, so I spent the summer, I was driving um, an airport shuttle from Lawrence, Kansas out to the airport. That's what I did that summer. It was a great job. That sounds cool, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> met, a lot, met a lot of interesting people that way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but, quick aside. Okay. Hold on to your yep. thought. But mm -hmm. when I was in high school, I took a career inventory, right? where it matches you up with careers. Yeah. And I was assuming, you know, and I was, a, I was thinking about being an engineering major at the time, which I was um, when I started college, but I was assuming any of those academic or professional fields would rank highest. Guess what was highest? Bus driver. I was the best match. Wow. Meaning that, yeah, of course it means, yeah, at, at first uh -huh. I was thinking, yeah, maybe I should consider this. My parents would kill me, but maybe I should consider <laughs> being a professional bus driver. And even now I'm thinking about, I would really love that. But, but of course, for the students out there who have no idea how those tests work, it, it just basically means that I would really get along personality-wise, right? It was a good fit right. for that kind of profession. And I'm not looking down on it whatsoever, but I, I do feel like if I ever wanted a career change and, and I constantly see school bus, you know, that are hiring yeah. in school districts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but maybe the city bus. I would love to just say hi to the same people every morning, you know, that kind of, I would love that. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So you're you're. Uh, I was so excited to hear that. So you actually did that for a while. That I did so that cool. for a while, and, and now I have to add my own aside: is that mm -hmm. my mother was a bus driver, a school bus ah, driver, okay, for many many years, and that's how I became an honorary Girl Scout. She had taken a Girl Scout troop up to a the first Girl Scout camp up in New York State, and I I was like three years old, and immediately I was adopted by the troop as their mascot and. <laughs> Anyway, I became honorary Girl Scout. I still have that patch someplace that they that they gave me. Oh, did they did they sell cookies way back then? You know, was I that was that didn't exist then? You think? I think that was pre cookie. Pre oh, oh, right, pre cookie era. Okay, got it. Yeah. Pre cookie era. Yeah. Okay. Now, of course, you know, if either of like. us were 
if either of us had access to the internet right now, we could probably <laughs> look it up. That's true. <laughs> but no, no, let's let's just um, suppose and move on yeah. with our lives. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So um, actually, your story mirrors mine so much. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. In the, in the sense of being an undergrad and being kind of law or in high school, just sort of following the crowd. And that's what I did. That's how I ended up being a double E major, electrical engineering major in college. I had nothing, I had no idea what it was. Right. My friends were math science people, right? right? I'm expected to go to college, different from you in that sense, but in mm -hmm. the same sense that I just follow sort of did not have a clue, yeah. right? Even yeah. after I changed to psych, still didn't have a clue what area of psych. And then I, I just like social psych, so I ended up applying and went into the, another, just like you, a PhD program. And based on my experience, I'm not sure if you would give the same advice, maybe you will, but I often caution people who do ask me about graduate schools and all that, about the PhD program that has the master's along the way. In other words, going in with a bachelor's, just because unless you have extreme clarity that that's what you, what you want, and that you know what's expected, right? For the it's a marathon, you know, it's gruel. Yeah, yeah, as you know, and and so, and I almost didn't finish. And the thing is, I didn't have a master's to fall back on because I went from social psych to counseling psych. I didn't finish my thesis, right? They just sort of sign sign a special paper saying, yeah, Jack's got the equivalent. He's finished all his coursework except for the thesis. So I had a. Uh, sort of a eye wink master's in social psych. So if I didn't finish that doctorate in counseling psych, I would have to fall back on my bachelor's degree with a yeah. ton of graduate school credits. So at that's good that you, you finished your master's, right? I mean, that's a relief that you it, have that yeah. to take with you. Yeah. Yeah. And that was not... Well, of course, it wasn't by plan because mm -hmm. I wasn't doing any planning. So yeah. I didn't choose University of Kansas because they awarded the master's along the way. Right. In retrospect, that was the best thing that could have happened to me. Yeah, yeah. I would tell students if they can find programs that have a terminal master's degree, right, then you could, like you're, like you're doing, driving a bus, you know, just take a break, right. explore life a little bit, even work mm -hmm. in that professional, but especially for those in therapy and clinical counseling, right? You can do so much with a master's degree. Totally. Most don't even really need that doctorate in clinical or counseling, right? Um, okay, continue on. I, I'm fascinated by the bus driver <laughs> story and, and what's coming after that. Well, I do while we're while we're on this particular yeah, topic yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and how and how um, unplanned either of us were outside of what our friends were telling us to do, yeah. is that I I struggle so much when I work with students who feel like they have to decide right now at the age of 16, 17, 18, or 19, yeah. what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And I clearly was not making any decisions about that. It was sort of um, a meandering not even a, a solid pathway. I was just out in the field meandering around and I ended up finding something that, that worked really well. Yeah. If I had to have decided something when I was 17 as a senior in high school, who knows where I would have ended up. Yeah. And I think as students, we look up to our instructors and we assume that all oh, they had it all together, right? <laughs> Every step yeah. along the way, right? It's hard for them to imagine that they were struggling 19, 20, you know, basically goofballs and clueless. And that certainly was me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's why starting a podcast was very frightening for me. 
because everyone experiences that imposter syndrome, right? You know, once you're out in the open and exposed, right, then it's sort of like, oh, someone's going to come to me and say I, I stated a fact wrong or, or you know, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> yep, it's like, yep, I really don't yep. know what I'm doing. Anyway, that's a whole different story. I'll do another episode <laughs> on imposter syndrome. And, uh, and I know the new DSM is coming out, so I'm curious to see if imposter syndrome made it in there, you know? So many people talk about it and write about it. Anyway, yeah. okay. All right, so I'm so I'm yeah. driving the airport shuttle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I decide, you know, I really need to make a little bit more money than what I am currently making here. So I looked at the local community college. I said, I've got a master's degree. I have teaching experience. Maybe they would hire me as a part-time instructor. Mm -hmm. So this was uh, Johnson County Community College just outside Kansas City, Missouri. And I, um, I applied. And... The, the head of the department was very excited to hire me. And later I understood because a lot of the adjuncts there did have master's degrees in counseling or clinical. And he was just thrilled to have somebody in some other field. So right. yay, social. Yeah. So I started teaching this community college. I'm, I'm teaching evening classes and I completely fell in love with it. Mm. The, the student population in community colleges tend to be much more diverse than yes. in four-year schools. Yes. The, the age differences alone just blew me away. I, yeah. I had no experiences with community colleges before this. Me and too. I walked in, I, yeah, I never attended yeah. one before I started working for <laughs> nope. one. Okay. Yeah. Nope, nope, amazing. Nope. Yeah. And I, and I walked into that classroom and I looked at everybody and I thought, okay, this is going to be a very different experience. I was, I was 20, this would have been 1994. So I would have been 26 at the time. And I'm looking at these students, many of whom were well over the age of 26. <laughs> and I have this idea of what professor is, right? I got yeah. a schema for professor, which right. is the person who stands up there and is all, all authoritarian right? Um, or maybe a little lighter authoritative, but, but is the authority. Yeah. And when I looked at these students, I thought there is no way that is going to work. There is no way that the 40 year olds in this class yeah. are yeah. going to accept this 26 year old <laughs> as an authority on anything. So very quickly, I changed my approach. Yeah. And, and I remember saying, it must've been really early in the semester, but I remember saying, look, I know I know the theory, I know the research, and you all have a ton of life experiences. So what we're going to do is we're going to mix them together and we're going to see what happens. That's fantastic. That's and fantastic. It, yeah. it, it saved my teaching butt. Yeah. But I completely fell in love with it. I truly did. Uh, teaching at, at a four-year university did nothing for me, mm -hmm. but this particular student population absolutely did. Yeah. So I, I taught part-time there for a year. And then I picked up some part-time work at a private university in Topeka. And then I finally got a, I've been trying to get in with Kansas City, Kansas Community College. And I, I finally did. So I'm driving all over the state, basically, all, all over Eastern Kansas, working at three different. Yeah, that's um, the life of an adjunct. It yeah. totally is. Yeah. It totally is. So <clears throat> great experience. I wouldn't, wouldn't change it for anything. But after doing that for a year, I said, you know what, if, if community colleges are willing to hire me with the degree that I currently have, I don't need to go back and finish the PhD. Right. 
I don't, I'm already well in debt at this point. I, I didn't, I had like $250 of student debt when I left college because of all of those grant programs, but grad school was a whole different animal. Right. So I'm, I've got a ton of debt. I don't remember how much it was, but I got a ton of debt after just three years and I'm looking at another two, three, maybe four years. Right. And the time, the aggravation, I wasn't enjoying the research anymore, yeah. but I'm loving this whole teaching thing. Yeah. So after a year, I said, nope, that's it. I'm not coming back. I'm officially leaving the program. I'm taking my master's and, and hitting the road. The following year, I continued to teach part-time and started applying for full-time jobs around the country. Yeah. And I was very fortunate that... New Mexico State University, the Alamogordo two-year branch hired me in for fall 1994. And that's when I moved down here to New Mexico. Yeah. And I wanted to save this for later, but I think we can talk about it now if it kind of fits, is that I think teaching, if those people interested in teaching at the college university level, I feel like the community college is, as an employment place, is one of the best kept secrets, don't you think? That because I'm I'm on Twitter and I, and I see all these people who are applying for faculty jobs. They're of course applying for university faculty jobs, but I feel like if you're lean toward the teaching and not so much on the research, community college is such a fantastic work environment um, that I I can't imagine the pressure of being at a university and having to publish, you know, to to gain tenure and all that. So I really appreciate that environment. And it's just like you, the diversity of students uh, is just so interesting. It's never boring. It is never boring. Yeah. That is yeah. true. To to my four-year colleagues who are both at major universities and the small liberal arts colleges who love working with a traditional student age population, uh, hats off to them. Yeah. I appreciate that they're willing to do that. And certainly, as you know, Jack, the community college, we got plenty of students who are traditional age. We also have plenty of students who are in dual enrollment programs, right. taking high both school. high school, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, high school classes and college classes. And we got plenty of people who are coming back to school after being out for for a decade or two, yep. and plenty of people who were never in college in the first place yep. who are going to school for the first time. Yeah, I have a mostly essay-based, and I think you too, you as well, right, essay-based uh, assessments, mm -hmm. and I love reading their essays, and just because of their what they bring to the table, whether it's the cultural background aspect of it, although I do have to remind my students, they love to say, in my country, and I always write back, which country? Tell the others, right. you know, especially in a discussion <laughs> forum, which country you're talking about, because that that matters, right? They just love to say, well, back in my country, because uh, my in-laws do that all the time. You know, in my uh, country, yeah. well, well, you're American too. You're talking about America? Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I really love it, and I, and I cherish that. And especially, I'm located in Texas, right? So I work remotely with Highline College, which is based in Washington State. And I realized that, of course, you know, regional difference, that just the composition of the student body was so different than what I'm used to in Texas. And that's what made it really interesting. So many international students compared to what I was used to, so many Eastern European mixed with Asian, mixed with especially African uh, students, right? 
Uh, yep. Some will say, oh, I've only been in the States for three years. I'm like, oh, my God, really? Freaking three years, and you're taking college courses. That's amazing. So, yeah. So I, I can't say enough about it. Good stuff about working at a community college. So those of you uh, who might think of teaching at, as a career, look for a master's degree, right? Master's degree program. And then go into teaching that sense. Don't think you have to have a PhD to teach. Yeah, some community colleges, though, seem to be having a preference for hiring PhDs. Hmm. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens post-pandemic. Oh, right, right. And speaking of the pandemic, and I don't know if you want to talk about this subject now, but um, in terms of online learning, because you're the most technically proficient instructor I've ever met. I mean, you <laughs> you just... I thought I was kind of a geek, but I'm more of a consumer geek, like doing stuff on the consumer side of things and just being my family's uh, own tech support person. But you're like the tech support person for the college amongst us instructors, and the number of tips you gave are just simply amazing. So uh, talk about how you ventured into that side of the teaching aspect, the technology side and distance learning. Because, you know, when we both started, I mean, that wasn't even a thing yet. Right. And and so how did you stumble into or get into that aspect of teaching? My problem, Jack, is that I like shiny new things. <laughs> and if those shiny new things are free, that is even better. So that's yeah. kind of what happened to me. <laughs> but did you observe any colleagues who, when distance learning came about, online teaching, did they take a step back? I, I saw that a lot in Texas. Nobody wanted to touch it. They were afraid of it. They, they they looked down on it mostly, right? As how can you possibly teach effectively using that method? So did you see that a lot as well? Well, so you, you probably don't know this, but the first online course, the first asynchronous online course I ever taught was 1998, 1999, okay. while I was still at, um, at the Almogordo branch of New Mexico State. Uh, online classes, asynchronous online classes were just coming into being. I don't, I remember putting together my own web pages at the time and using HTML code. It was before the, wow. the, what you see, what you get editors. So I, I'm, so what I remember is lots of people talking about asynchronous online courses, how this is going to completely revolutionize education. And I'm, I'm still young at the time. So I'm, kind of idealistic and think, oh, wow, this is really going to revolutionize education. And I, um, I'd been reading about it and reading about it and reading about it. And then I just finally dove in and did it. And I learned a few things from that experience. And one was that I felt like I was teaching all the time. Hmm. Every time an email would come in from a student, I would, I would reply. And so I'm, I'm constantly switching from, uh, at home Sue to work Sue. Hmm. And, and every time I did that, I, it, it was, it was time at work and anybody who is working remotely can, I think, appreciate that, that one minute you're with your family and the next minute you're working. Like yeah. how, how is this happening? Yeah. And that's when we start talking about the need for boundaries and right. separating work life from home life and finding yeah. a way to do that. So I'm very thankful that I had that experience because the big thing I took away from that was I just can't be on email all the time. Right. I just yeah. can't. Mm -hmm. After a certain time of day, that's it. And, and 
you know, we're, we're in higher ed. We're not dealing with life or death. So yeah. there isn't anything that can't wait until the next morning. You know, if it's a due date thing, whatever, we'll deal with it tomorrow. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. We're not right. going to, we're not going to kill ourselves tonight. Yeah. So I was very thankful to have had that experience. But what I also learned was that I love being in the classroom. I love that mm. dynamic energy of the classroom. I love watching the light bulbs go on over yeah. students' heads as yeah. they're like, wow, okay, now I get that. Yeah. And here, let me share this example from my country. <laughs> or county. <laughs> or county, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I totally missed the classroom. I was such a ham in the classroom that yeah. students just really... I was telling dad jokes before there was such a thing as dad. I don't know how long, how old that term is, but my daughter taught me that. And I was like, oh, that that's basically my, my humor is dad jokes. I didn't know right. that until she identified that for me. But yeah, I do miss the classroom as well. Um, so it's kind of weird to even imagine what it would be like for me to walk into a classroom and and do the prep and the, the whole routine. Yeah. yeah. But I think the drawing the boundaries since, uh, you know, we're in the pandemic and so many people are working remotely in all different professions. Uh, I'm sure they're going through what we went through early on, right? Learning when to stop checking your computer, when to reply to things. Um, and it's okay. I forgot which country it was. Ah, I wish I looked this up before I thought, I thought about it, but they instituted a four day work week. Do you remember this story? Do you remember where that was? Denmark. Uh, oh, yeah, maybe maybe one of the yeah Nordic countries. And, and they basically said that you're not obligated to reply to your boss after hours and on the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and maybe that's what we need to, be, need to be told. And we need to reinforce that amongst educators. We can't be replying to emails at two in the morning. It's okay. Right. It is you know? okay. Yeah. And it's fine. And, and for students, it's fine for you to email at two in the morning. That's yeah. all right. Yeah. But your instructor may not get back to you before nine. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is the area called education technology then, right? I think ed tech. Um, so you have the skills of actually an instructional design, right? Um, I'm not sure. Do they have the separate training and degrees? I'm sure they do, but they do. What is that? And, and how do they, you know, how does someone get into that if they want to do that? I have no idea oh, because okay. I, yeah, I don't actually have, I think you just go to, to graduate school for instructional design. Yeah. It, yeah I but, think there is a department now for that, right? Yeah. And you can specialize in educational technology. There are, there are other areas where you can, other degrees where you can also specialize, I think in educational technology and none of that I did. I'm, I'm, um, I'm self-trained yeah. and it was completely out of self-preservation, Jack. It totally was. <laughs> it was okay. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm typing the same thing over and over and over again. There has got to be an easier way. Yeah. Google. What is it? Oh, there are these text expanders mm. like phrase express or clipboard managers like ditto. All right. This makes my life so much easier. So that's what I'm doing is I'm, I'm looking up stuff to make my life yeah. easier. And as I'm doing it, um, sometimes I'll find something. And then a couple months later, like, wait, I already found an easier way to do this. I looked this up before. What was it? Mm -hmm. And I can't remember. Yeah. So that's when I started my, my technology for academics blog, sufrance.com. Yeah. yeah. And that was also self-preservation. That's just, I need a database for myself where I can go and search <laughs> 
that I that I've previously learned how to do. Yeah, and then you realize over time that oh, a lot of people are reading this and and they're yeah. they're benefiting from it. Yeah. They are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the same thing with my podcast. I was making these for my classes anyway. I was like, okay, I'll post them. And then I'm getting emails from people in Germany and you know, Australia right, <laughs> asking right. questions. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay. And so uh, now as a professional, what are your passion projects? What are some things that you're really into? Is there, because um, I know you, you co-wrote a book and all that. So is there anything that uh, that's on the burner that you're currently involved in and that kind of thing? The biggest thing that's on my mind these days is intro psych. Hmm. And what we should be covering in intro psych. And I've been talking about this in the teaching of psychology community for at least 10 years. And we finally got some traction and APA got on board and, and we've made some progress in thinking about being more purposeful in what we're teaching in intro psych. Um, students may be surprised to hear that the, the content of intro psych is largely driven by the textbooks and the content of the textbooks is largely driven by people like us who teach intro psych, who review yeah. the textbooks. So content can get into the textbooks, but it's very hard for content to come out because Jack, you read chapter two and you say, you got to keep this content. Yeah. Yeah. And so, because I teach that well, you've been teaching it for 20 years. I don't know that it still needs to be in there, but you right. are teaching it and you said that and you may not adopt the textbook unless unless we keep it in there. So we yeah. are. But then you also said, but here's some new research. We should also include that. So what's happened is that the intro psych textbooks have become bigger and bigger and bigger right. and become right. more and more encyclopedic. Yeah. So the, the soapbox that I have been on is that it's time for us to step back as a profession, and really think about the content that is in Intro to Psych. And for me, it comes down to audience. And every freshman learns this in their English composition class, that before you sit down to write, you better figure out who your audience is. So, I mean, if you're writing to your friends, that's a very different audience than if you're writing to your boss, for instance. Yep. So in our particular case, as we think about who is taking intro psych, every psych major does, but most of the students who are taking intro psych, who are sitting in that intro psych class, are not psychology majors. Well over 90% of them are majoring in something else. Yep. So the, the future electrical engineers, the future healthcare professionals, the future business professionals, they're all, they're all sitting there in intro psych. Yep. And as you know, and as, um, as a lot of students who have taken intro psych know, there is a lot of really good content in yep. psychology yeah. that is useful for whatever career you're going to go into, for, for having a family, for um, just living in your, in your community. There's just a ton of stuff in there that's useful to know. And there's probably a bunch of stuff in there that's not. Mm-hmm. So for me, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about what does my neighbor need to know? Yeah. And right now I am, um, I'm finishing up revisions on an intro psych textbook and all of my, as I, the audience yeah. for me yeah. are my neighbors. Yeah. I've got neighbors over here where the, the daughter is a nurse the son is working his way through a community college, a welding program. 
father is a police officer and mom works at the local public library. Yeah. And I keep them in mind as I'm, as I'm writing that what is it that they really need to know about psychology? There's a lot of history in yeah. intro psych that instructors find fascinating and love to teach, right. but do my neighbors need to know that? Do, yeah. does, does the nurse who is working in the emergency room really need to know about, for example, Freud's psychosexual stages? Yeah. <laughs> Pro- probably not. Yeah. 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 And I think in addition, and th- that's a good carryover for instructors when they're struggling with creating their course. I think early instructors, speaking from my experience, feel the pressure to teach everything. 35 pages per chapter, give, you know, 100 question multiple choice exams, students just have to read everything, right? And and, and I'm glad you're talking about this because that's always been my thinking too in between the quarters is, what do I want my students to know and to learn when they leave the class and going to those variety of settings that you talked about, right? And that's kind of how I set up my podcast too, was, you know, it's not for um, fifth year psych grad students, you know, it's for really just anyone who stumbles upon it and might get some benefit from it. And right. I think that's how our intro to psych class should be. And, and just like, you know, APA style referencing, those kinds of details, that, you know, and, and how to construct a research paper. Uh, I remember that used to be a heavy emphasis in intro to psych. You got to drill that home. They got to put the apostrophe in the right place, that kind of stuff, right? And right. I'm thinking, how important really is that for the nursing major or for, you know, the future police officer to really right. know to, you know, psych majors? Yeah. And so I constantly have to struggle with that too, battle, you know, what's beneficial for the everyday student versus, yeah, the future psych major. They'll learn that eventually, I'm thinking, right? That's exactly right. I don't, <laughs> I don't, for all the psych majors that are listening, uh, I'm not worried about you at all. <laughs> we, we know that, so for instance, so after you're done with intro psych, you're going to go on and take another course in psychology. Let's say that it's developmental psych. The interesting thing about when you take that developmental psych course is that your developmental psych professor is not going to assume that you've heard all about Piaget in your intro psych course, because it is entirely possible that your instructor did not even cover the development chapter. Yep. Or if they did, they didn't talk about Piaget. Yep. So no developmental psych instructor is going to assume that you got this information or they shouldn't assume that you got this information in intro psych. And even if they do assume that you got it, they're not going to assume that you're going to remember it. It could be two years after you take an intro psych that you're now taking developmental. So you're going to get it all again. So intro psych is really intro. Mm -hmm. It's just, Here's a whole bunch of stuff. Let's get you really excited about this. For those of you who are psych majors, think of it as a buffet, a smorgasbord yeah. of every every chapter in intro psych could potentially be an entire course that you can take as your major. And then within one of those chapters, you can go off to graduate school if yeah. you want to. We haven't even talked about all of the possibilities for somebody who's got a bachelor's degree in psychology. You don't have to go to graduate school. That's right. Jack and I fell into it, <laughs> but we didn't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's really good. Um, so 
What, uh, uh, I just had a thought and then it left the train station. <laughs> that, that's, that's why I, I really shouldn't do that. I should, I should be better at listening than to, to think about, oh, I, this is, I really have to say this. Then five minutes later, it's gone. <laughs> totally. And I think that's, that's part of aging. Oh, another thing I wanted to say was, I feel like, and let me know if this is your experience, teaching these second level psych courses like social psych and lifespan, you know, that are more singular in, in a field, I feel like they're so much easier to teach just because you're in a, you're in one particular quadrant of the universe, whereas psychology really is just, you know, from chapter to chapter, you're, you're, the concepts are just totally different. That's absolutely right. Intro yeah. psych has to be, I'm, I'm going to argue that intro psych is the hardest course to teach. And yep. for students, it's probably the second hardest course to take of, of the psych majors right behind research methods. Yeah. 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 Stats and research methods. Yeah. 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 But otherwise, yeah. Intro psych is the hardest one to teach because as professors, Jack and I are both have degrees in social psych. So we feel pretty competent in that chapter. So just picture us directly out of graduate school. All right, we got a pretty good handle on social psych. We can probably do fine with the research methods chapter. Yeah. Uh, personality isn't that far away from social. Yeah. So we got some understanding there, but all the rest of it, we yeah. didn't have any graduate work in biopsych. Mm -hmm. So for that, we have to rely on our on our bachelor's education, which might've been five years earlier that we took that course. And of course, lots of things have yeah. changed in biopsych in the last right. five years. Right. And maybe we didn't even have biopsych. Maybe our only experience with biopsych was the intro psych course that we mm. took. Yeah. Unless our instructor didn't cover that, in which case right. we have no experience with biopsych. Right. So that becomes the challenge. We now have to teach a chapter that we know really nothing about. And so as new instructors, <laughs> we are learning yeah. the same time the students are, or hopefully a, at least a week ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's how I felt sometimes, especially like the first couple of years when you're doing that class prep. Right. And that's where that imposter syndrome just comes in huge. You're just hoping the students don't ask a question that's a chapter ahead of where you are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I don't know. And that's, that's the answer we're so afraid to give as instructors that I'm totally comfortable with now. I have no clue. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with you completely <laughs> that, yeah, as, as a new instructor, it was, I, I can't say, I don't know. And then once it became clear that, yeah, I don't know, was a perfectly fine answer. Then, then that's a complete game changer. Yeah. Because then what do you do with that? I don't know. I, I guess it depends on what the nature of the question was. Yeah. If it's something that keeps cropping up semester after semester, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go and learn something about this. Yeah. Or maybe that first time that question comes up, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. Let me go investigate that. Yeah. What I did learn is that when I bring the information back to students, often it was, yeah, their interest had already waned and they'd forgotten that they even asked that question. But for myself, that was useful. So for brand new instructors, I highly recommend joining the Society for the Teaching of Psychology and, and connecting with instructors there because the, the STP Facebook, STP Society for the Teaching of Psychology. Yeah. I'll put a link in all of these things in the show notes. Yeah. Related awesome. to this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. The Facebook page, the only reason, frankly, I'm still on Facebook is because of this Facebook yeah. group. <laughs> it's, <Same>. um, <laughs> 
Last I looked, it was like 16,000 members. I'm sure it's over that now. But any question that an instructor has, if I had a biopsych question, that's exactly where I would put it. Mm -hmm. And 17 biopsych biopsychologists would jump in with excellent answers. Yeah. I think we just need to give ourselves some slack that we don't, we're not expected to know every single citation or or concept even in our intro book. I mean, that's just too much information. We know what we know, and then there's a lot we don't know, but we can guide students to learn about it, right? Yeah. yeah. My favorite thing to do is to is the guess, but say that I'm guessing. So if you were to ask me a question in class that I didn't know the answer to, mm-hmm. I would say, I don't know, but let me guess. So based on what we learned back in chapter two about this and chapter seven about this, I would guess that it's this Mm -hmm. and to model thinking through it based on other knowledge, but again, acknowledge, but I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I love seeing essays from students where they're able to do that. Let's say we're Mm -hmm. in a chapter about personality or they bring in something from motivation or it reminds them of this. I'm like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I want to give them a big hug, a virtual hug. It's like, oh my gosh, something's clicking. Um, and, and back to that point about, you know, what do we want students to get out of the class? You know, if, when I give a reflection essay from chapter one, where it introduces all these different fields of psychology, one student just said, I had no idea there were so many different fields. And I'm like, yes, you know, I'm applauding, clapping. It's like, yeah, that's one of the things I want you to walk away with. And I'm glad you figured that out. Yeah. And you learned that. So, Yeah. So uh, it's a relief for me. I, this has been so much fun because like with my other guests and, and we're colleagues, you're my second colleague that I've, you know, hosted here that I really knew so little about you and also with Dr. Diane that we talked to before that this is so enlightening. And also it's a re- reaffirmation of my professional role of what I'm doing that maybe I am doing something on the right track. <laughs> Yeah. So thanks for your time. Is is there anything else you want to to talk about while we still have a couple more minutes? That's just sort of like a in 12 steps group that 12 step groups they call it a burning desire or something like that. I, I I used to sit in on them and that's what they used to talk about. Anybody have a burning desire they need to get off their chest. Uh, I I would tell students yeah that the the research is pretty clear on success in college and success after college. Yeah. It's not how much you have in terms of resources. It's not how intelligent you are. It really comes down to perseverance. And even if you have a bad term, you got a bad quarter, a bad semester, that's okay. And in fact, I'm going to argue that that's kind of an asset Mm. because one of the things that if you're you're going from a community college and transferring to a four-year school and you need to write an essay for the admissions application, Or you're applying for a job and you get a job interview and they ask you, tell us about a time when you overcame some adversity. If you have a bad quarter or a bad semester, say during the pandemic, um, as many of you have, maybe your grades weren't that great. And that's okay, because then that becomes a wonderful story where you can say, here was this awful thing that happened. I had never gotten grades like this before. I was absolutely devastated. All of this stuff was happening during that time. I lost close family members. Yeah. 
I lost my job. All of this was happening. I couldn't focus on school. But the next term I came back and I was able to refocus. I was able to surround myself with really good people who were very supportive. And I was able to persevere. And that next term, my grades came right back up. So if you have a bad term, that's okay. That happens. It's called life. Yeah. We all understand it, but it's what you do after that. Yeah. And for so many students, I've had so many, so many students who went to college right after high school and they did poorly. They, they flunked out. Yeah. And 10 years, 15, 20 years later, they come back. I see them in class again. They said, I was in your class 10 years ago. Wow. I failed it. I wasn't ready, but now I am. And they earn A's. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, and that's what community colleges are for yeah. specifically as that, as that safety net, we're always yeah. going to be here for you. Yeah. And whatever you're doing today doesn't reflect on who you are as a person in the future. Just persevere. Yeah. I would also add that they are not their GPA. You are not your GPA. Yeah, they're, they're, I've seen so many students so obsessed with just the numerical grade, maintaining a 4.0, that they lose sight of the point of the college education, right? Yeah. They think that's the end all and be all. And, and I have to tell them that, you know, at, when I was in grad school and we're interviewing incoming graduate students, applicants, right? And we've rejected plenty of people with 4.0 GPAs. Yep. Because they just weren't focused. They didn't know why they want that degree. They didn't tell us why they want to come to this university. You know, they just, yeah. did, they weren't prepared as an applicant, right? right. They didn't have good right. stories to tell, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, everyone's going to look similar on paper when it comes to the interviews for the next step in your schooling or job, right? A lot of people are going to have really good qualifications on a resume. So the difference is, is your integrity, who you are, right? Um, and and the fact that, like you said, you can persevere, how resilient you are and how well you think on your feet, how well you work with others and all these kinds of other softer qualities, I think. That's yeah. kind of my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. I was one last story. Yeah. Sure. I, um, as an undergrad, I took research methods and it was, um, it was a lab class. So it was worth some extra credits and doing well in the class. The class ends with a final group presentation. So my, my group mate and I, it was a, it was a two person group. Yeah. Um, it was, it was spring semester and it's the end of spring. The weather is beautiful. If we had shown up and given the presentation, just shown up and given a crappy presentation, I would have had an A in the course, but it was a beautiful day, Jack. <laughs> it was a beautiful day. I'm shocked at this story. <laughs> it, it had been a long semester. It was a cold winter, and it was a beautiful spring day. Yeah, We skipped it. We went yeah. out to the lake. <laughs> Spent the day at the lake. It was a wonderful time at the lake, and I got to be in the class. Mm -hmm. And the, the professor was a little baffled. He said, we waited for you, and, and you didn't show. I, <laughs> And I don't recall offering any explanation other than, <laughs> yep, that's true. We didn't show. So I get to be in the class instead of an A, a little ding on my overall GPA. Right. 
And you know what impact that had on my life? <laughs> None. None, None yeah. at all. Yep. Nope. Nope. My GPA is just good enough. Yep. It was fine enough. You're still a good and person. <laughs> I'm still a good person. I still got the graduate school. I still yeah. have my master's degree and I've yeah. still had an awesome career. Yeah. And you got to enjoy that day. No and regrets. Got to enjoy. No regrets. Mm. Yeah. Mm -mm. That's nope. awesome. I love that story. Okay. Work-life balance. <laughs> Work-life balance. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for your time. I'm sure we could have explored so many different topics, but I think we covered a lot of interesting things. Hopefully for my student audience and those thinking about a career in psychology, this can offer you some insights that, um, hey, don't look down on yourself. <laughs> look, we made it. We did pretty well. So can you. So thank you, Sue, for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Our podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, friends, maintaining our mental health is not easy. And the good news is that therapy does work. And what is therapy? It's really whatever you choose it to be. It can help you with your motivation. Maybe you're feeling stuck and you need some extra tools to help get you unstuck. Maybe you're feeling insecure in a relationship or having issues at work or just dealing with daily stress. So whatever it is you need, it's important to overcome that sense of shame about getting help because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, or live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So, join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself and your mental health. So, I have a special offer for our Psychology Concepts Explained listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash psychexplained. That's betterhelp.com slash psychexplained. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast.